Welcome to this episode of the Executive Athletes Podcast. I want to thank everyone that's been listening and thank you for the comments and feedback. There are tremendous help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited as I believe it's the best way to get to really know the guests. This week, we actually have two guests for, this, for the podcast, Mark Allen and Scott Zagarino. This intro is a little longer than usual, but we'll set the stage for today's discussion. So first off, we have Mark Allen. And if you don't know Mark, he's a legend and icon in the triathlon and endurance world. He's, he, and here's a little bit about him. Um, after competing and losing in the Ironman triath Triathlon Championship six times, often to Dave Scott, Allen emerged victorious in 1989, winning one of the most difficult one-day sporting events in the world. This was the first of six Ironman victories for Mark, the last coming in 1995 at the age of 37 making him the oldest winner of the event at that time. There's all hope for us old guys that are still trying to get out there. But this is my favorite intro from his bio, and I, and I love this, and really shows just the human side of himself, but as a you know, triathlete back in the 80s. And it goes, I began a career as a professional triathlete in 1982. Back then, doing a triathlon was a big adventure. There were no books, no videos, no coaches. But there were races. Some even had some prize money. The challenge was how to go faster. One month, we might think the key was mileage. So we'd crank out ridiculous totals week after week. Swim, 30,000 yards in seven days? Of course. Pile on 500 miles cycling and another 70 running at the same time? Why not? Was that enough? Was it too much? It was all a guess. And that's, you know, right there, it's, you know, I think, a lot of people still train like that, but with technology, it's totally changed. Um, our second guest is Scott Zagarino. And Scott has been involved in the triathlon community in one capacity or another for more than 35 years. And over the course of 15 years, he competed in 53 triathlons around the world. For a few seasons, he tried his hand at racing as a pro. Racing in this company was a masterclass in humility. When injuries forced him out of triathlon, he moved on to adventure racing whitewater kayaking, surf ski paddling, and kite surfing. And we'll jump into that a little bit. But between 2000 and 2006, he trained in the traditional Soto school for Zen Buddhism, beginning as a novice monk. And upon completing that portion of his training, he was ordained legally as a Zen Buddhist priest. So talk about going from one extreme to the other. Um, professionally, he runs a Scott Zagarino agency where he works and collaborates in event communication, athlete communication, and sponsorship services. Mark and Scott collaborated to create the 1989 story, which can be found at the 1989thestory.com. And here's a quick overview of the project. On October 14, 1989, at the Ironman World Championships, the universe of sport was changed forever when Dave Scott and Mark Allen ran the greatest race ever run pushing each other to the breaking point, and then pushing harder for more than eight hours, never separated by more than a few feet. Both athletes raced wondering how much longer they could go on at this level of suffering. The challenge was to leave a lasting legacy in sports in that the story had to originate with the truth. And the truth about the 1989 race has never been told in its entirety. The stories have been published or handed down from anecdotes or from sound bites taken from interviews with Mark or with Dave Scott. That only reveals parts of the picture, but none captured their full personal stories until now. 
and talk to us a little bit about the project, um, either Mark or Scott, and jump into it because it's super exciting and trying to piece the stories together, I'm sure it has to be amazing. Well, I'll start out, and, and this is Mark, and I'll, and I'll say that um, this is kind of an extension of that introduction because the, the, the project, 1989thestory.com, was, was Scott's idea. Scott, Scott and I have been friends since the 80s, and he's been involved with just about every aspect of the sport of triathlon, endurance racing, fundraising for nonprofits. I mean, he's, he's had many aspects of sports and sport marketing, and, and he just – he. In the end, what he always tries to do is to somehow tap into the, the human emotion of sport and the human element and the human, uh, how, we, how we deal and manage and cha challenges, how we manage ourselves in, in difficult competition situations. And also what makes great memorable sporting events something that sticks with us. It's not a time or a place. It's what happened emotionally when we watched something amazing happen. And, and so anyway, as you mentioned in, in that intro there, there, were, there have been a lot of recountings of that sort of epic battle that Dave Scott and I had, but they were all from somebody else's perspective. Dave and I had never actually delved into what it took for both of us to show up on that start line in 1989 at the peak of our form. And so Scott goes, look, I know both of you, and I know that this was not just a perfectly scripted journey that got you there together. Both of you had really uh, human things you had to deal with, you know, family and life and, and challenges and, and upsets and setbacks. And he said, this is, uh, this is my idea. You both write uh, your side of that journey through 1989, what you had to go through each step of, that, uh, of the way, and we'll, we'll, we'll mesh the stories together so that people can look at it and go, wow, not only was the race amazing, but what it took for the two of you to actually get there, like I said, to the start line, in the shape that you were, I think it's going to touch people because most people look at you, Mark Allen, and your, your cohort on that day, Dave Scott, and they think these two guys were just invincible. They just plugged it into some program, and every single day they were on top of it. I know different is what he said. And, and so that was the genesis and the, and the birth of, of the concept. And, and, you know, at first I thought, do I really want to do this with Dave? You know, because we were competitors. And, and, and then I thought, you know what? I have to do this with Dave. We have to do this together because it is, it's, it's two people merging their lives, their goals, their, their, their challenges, their, their, their great moments coming together in actually very different ways. And so that's, that was how the, the stories uh, sort of b began. Of course, Dave and I had to write them together and get them all edited. But anyway, so that, you know, 100% of the, the, uh, the accolades on getting this out there certainly goes to Scott. It was his idea. He's the one who actually published them out on the website and uh, coordinated getting them edited together. Because when you have two very different guys writing about their personal journeys, it's a challenge to make it sound seamless. Um, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Scott Zagarino. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to tease Mark all the time about, uh, if, if you don't know the background of the 1989 Ironman, uh, Mark had come six times, Dave, Dave won six times, Mark lost six times in spectacular fashion in, in some cases. 
1987, he had to be taken from the medical tent to the hospital and, and came pretty close to being a, uh, not with us. And, and people didn't know things like that. And they saw Dave as this invincible truck who could win one race every year and Mark as this fragile athlete who could get a lead and stay with Dave but not race with him. And on that day, the world changed. It changed for Dave. It changed for Mark. It changed for triathlon. And when I tell this story to people who don't know a thing about triathlon, they start off kind of glazed over because you use the word triathlon and, you know, they have all their misconceptions. About a quarter of the way through the story, they're totally bought in. And by the end of the story, and not just at, at 1989thestory.com, but over dinner, some are left sobbing. Some are left looking at their phones and trying to get a video of the race. But essentially, Mark had been racing as if he should be beating Dave all those years. He won races all over the world that Dave didn't win. He beat Dave all over the world in places they went. They had such different personalities. And Dave really did feel, having known him as long as I have, he felt like he owned that race. No one was ever going to take it away from him. And the emotional part of that over the course of a year, um, I used to tease Mark all the time. I said, after six losses and all that suffering, and remember, Ironman takes, takes stuff out of you for the rest of your life. After six times, I said, when the NG form came for 1989, what did you think? What were you thinking? You're making all this money all around the world, and you're actually going to go back and try again? And he tried an entirely different strategy. Uh, I, I don't. Dave wasn't surprised because Dave wasn't even considering it. He, he didn't see things in that context. And Mark decided that we're going to go side by side. He knows how to do this race. There is probably one right way to do it. And there's nothing wrong with racing his race his way. And after eight hours and some odd minutes, they got to a hill with about 800 meters left to the finish and Mark pulled away. But they raced side by side in that horrible, in those horrible conditions. And I thought that, you know, every sport needs a legacy. You've got Maris. You've got uh, Dale Earnhardt. You, you know, every, and, they, and they've got their moment. Tiger Woods. You know, this moment wasn't recorded. And I thought it was even cooler that the story that led up to it, as they were telling it, the first, the first, Part, the first issue, issue was kind of stiff. It was, you know, they kept wanting to refer back to the race. But then one person said something and Mark, Dave said something and Mark said, I had no idea that that had happened to you. And Mark would say something and Dave would say, I had no idea that, that you were going through that or, or that's what was going through your mind. You know, I thought you hated me. No, I didn't. <laughs> That kind of stuff. And as it unfolded, it actually had to have an epilogue because the second story was you were watching two people who had a conception of each other as athletes, but it was nowhere near what they, what the, the relationship that they really had. What you know, was the relationship during those, you know, six losses, Mark? What was that like with, you know, to Dave Scott? It's, you know, it sounded like you didn't really know that, what relationship existed or not? Or was it just two guys who were just warriors and then you left at the end of the race? Or what was that relationship? Yeah, we, we sort of, uh, we never really stepped on each other's toes. You know, we were very fierce competitors. 
when we showed up at the Ironman every year, obviously the two of us wanted to be the one who would be the champion. He was the one in those early years who was winning. I was not, as, as Scott mentioned. And uh, so, you know, we didn't really have a friendship. We didn't, tr we never trained together. I, I trained with pretty much every other top triathlete in the world, except for Dave Scott. He, w he was a loner. I was more of the mindset like, hey, this stuff is so difficult to do. Why not have five other people that you're doing it with, you know, moral support, motivation, the whole deal. And, uh, but more importantly, it's, I had a real misconception about him as, as Scott just mentioned. I, I like everybody else thought the guy was completely invincible, that he never had a challenge that all he had to do was turn the, flip the switch, uh, you know, eight or 10 weeks out from Kona, just pummel himself and he knew exactly how to do that and he would show up right at the point where if he did one more hard workout he'd probably start to get overtrained and you know you look at his results and it kind of looked like that and then as we were going through these stories and, and I heard uh, some of the the challenges that that he faced very very common things that we all can have to deal with you know he had certain aspects that were, you know, he could get depressed if things weren't going right. And he had the birth of, of his child that year in 1989, which added a whole dimension into motivation, but also challenge. And, and I think, you know, the, the street ran both directions. You know, I, he thought I was just on board no matter what going into 1989. And in his very first story, as Scott mentioned, um, I was, actually not going to go. I, I'd had six bad years there. And I thought, why am I going to go back to that friggin' race that everybody, including my friends and family are saying, you are not cut out for that thing. And, and so going into 1989, January 1989, it was not on my start list. But you know, a couple of weeks, three or four weeks into the year, you know, I could just feel this calling of the island. And it was just saying you have to come back you have to come back anyway Dave didn't know that and there were other points throughout the year where there were things that uh, you know I've never actually shared with anybody outside of my family and and so that's I, you know just to back up I, I I have never read or seen any kind of um, personal story that that two incredible rivals have written together where they have shared some of the deep stuff that was going on with, within them. It's, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable when you're, when, when your co-partner in this thing is somebody who is your most fierce competitor and to just let down that guard and say, okay, it's 30 years later. Now it's time to just say, this is what happened. We can let our guard down. We can tell the truth. We can tell the whole story. And through that, hopefully other people will have hope for those things that maybe they thought were going to be too big of stumbling blocks in them achieving something, whether it's in business or sport or in their personal life, that was really out there that meant a lot to them, but they just didn't see if they just didn't know if they could do it or not because of challenges that were coming along the way or uh, thinking, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. It's not going to happen. Let me just go on to the next thing, you know? And so that's, what's real, really unique about this. Well, and yeah. Scott, well, yeah. no, I was going to say, Scott, you know, how did you get these two superpowers to open up? Right. You know, that's, that's a super feat in itself. It's trying to get, you know, guys like this, who've been competing and training and, and doing their own thing to, 
you know, and like you said, Mark, you know, that vulnerability, that's like magician stuff. You know, how did, how did you pull that out of them? Lots of volume. <laughs> Why? <laughs> You're... No, the, uh, it, it sort of goes with the theme and, and, and I, I will tell you what the, what the little sneaky part of this was, is that, you know, we live in a world where more and more, um, superstar athletes are always under question, uh, accomplishments always have a question mark with them and it's made people I think it's made people a little cynical and we are certainly a culture that is uh, that could use some hope and when you get through this story and you actually realize what these two guys went through and the brink that they went to it it ins hopefully what it will do is bring people together it'll inspire them into, it doesn't necessarily, you know, Ironman is not a universal, it's, it's, you know, it's a triathlon, but it's a, it was a play. It's a very, very hard place. And from my, from being a monk, I, I wanted to give people a place where if you read this story, you'd leave hopeful that if they can do this, then I can do that. And maybe I should set my goals a little higher. Maybe I should have some more faith in what I can do and not let the world tell me what I can't. And getting them together was just a matter of being committed to that ideal. Because if, if they wouldn't give up in that race, I was certainly not going to give up getting them to tell the story. And, and as I said about our, uh, our erstwhile editor, uh, Becca Borowski, I, she in no way wanted to be involved in this project. She's a professional. <laughs> she makes a lot of money. And so I told her the story. And she still didn't want to do it. And I did what everybody does who wants to get something done. I called her every day until she gave up. And uh, that's, that's really how this got done is I just called them both. And, and I had to deal with an agent at one point and a, another person at another point to try to get through. But, you know, eventually I think that Mark earlier and Dave a little later saw the, the human value in it. And Dave, I, I want to give a standing ovation for because he opened up about things that pe people at e in every walk of life do not tell anybody but their family and, and Mark as well. And, and you get up to about the middle of it and you see this transformation at about episode five where they're now talking about the human experience and the fear and the anxiety and the doubt and all of those things that creep in. And then Mark, you know, which was a turned out to be a genius move, but had everybody scratching their head while Dave is in Davis racking up thousands of miles. Mark decides to do the Olympic distance world championships in France in August, which, which is not the training that you're doing for Ironman, but he figured what the hell, if there's going to be a first world champion, it might as well be me. And that's amazing. You know, and I think that's like you, you, you alluded to earlier is that hope, right? You know, that sense of hope that, I think a lot of us are, you know, we're super skeptical of everyone with, you know, performance enhancing drugs and background stories and everything else. And it was pretty funny. I was actually going for my run today and listening to NPR and these two people were talking about, you know, Mr. Rogers and how Tom Hanks was, you know, was playing Mr. Rogers. And he said, you know, that's the guy that no one's ever, ever had any dirt come on. Probably when this comes up, there'll be some dirt, but Mm -hmm. that he, and, but then they were saying that we're, that's what, as a society, we're looking for dirt from people, right? We're looking for something to go wrong and, you know, and, and having that hope and, you know, and like Mark and like Dave and, and talking the story, we're, 
we need that hope, right? We need that story that there isn't going to be something that's going to come on, you know, down the road like a lance or like anything like that. That's, you know, that is inspiring. This is a funny thing is that I have never once heard any, and, and athletics at that level is as gossip prone as Mm. movie stars. And I have never in the entire time since that race heard anyone accuse either of them of doping. And Mark's, marathon record and Dave's for that matter lasted 27 years that's through you know how equipment changed in training methods and the course actually changed and nobody ran that fast and they and they did it because neither one was going to give up they I don't don't think Dave wore a watch I think I think you should tell everyone to start going back to swimming 30,000 yards a week and (laughs) miles and 70 mile runs and then you know here let's go back to the original (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I think what's interesting about our story is that um, there there are clearly a lot of truly inspirational people out there who who have overcome just incredible challenges, whether they're physical or or something in their family or past history or you know you, you the list is is long, right? And I I think for me the biggest hope. Is when I hear someone tell a story that uh, is about somebody who really didn't necessarily overcome anything extraordinary. They overcame stuff that was ordinary, because all of us have things in our lives that are very ordinary that are extremely challenging. And so, you know, uh, and, and the way that that both Dave and I did that was to just keep stepping back, regrouping, changing the things that weren't working, holding on. And, and even when it, both of us went through times during our careers and during, especially during that year where we thought this is impossible, why am I even going to do it? But then we both were able to just kind of step back and in, in our own ways, regroup and say, okay, this still is important for me to try and to then get back and just do the basic unglamorous, very unglamorous, work of achieving something that truly ended up being extraordinary. And to me, that's, that's hope. You know, if somebody who goes, look, my life is basically okay, but I've got these things that are really bothering me that feel like they're holding me back. And maybe that person climbed Everest with, you know, whatever, and this other one did something else incredible. That's so far out of my wheelhouse. It's amazing. But I, what do I take from that? And, you know, I think in our own ways, 1989, the story, as Scott said, first, you know, there was no drugs, which is a rarity these days in some realms of sport. And, and secondly, our challenges were just the things that everyone is going to have to come across probably at some point in their lives. And then, like said, Scott said, hope, it brings it back. And, and, or, go ahead, Scott. Um, to add to add a little something to that, it's and I've I've actually I actually learned this from Mark. It's one of the it's one of the early takeaways from our friendship is that it's not about being better than somebody else. It's not about beating somebody else or the number of people that you beat or the number of people that you're better than. It's being the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. And when you when you know that, you can be satis- satisfied somewhat with life's disappointments, with what Mark said are the ordinary problems. If you know at the end of the day that you were honest and you gave it your best. This event is an example of people who had to bump up against that every day. And they weren't really trying to beat each other. 
you know, at, at one point, way late in the race, it became about beating someone. But it's a race that no one lost. Mm. And that's what's super cool about it. And I think, you know, triathlon can do it. Obviously, I'm outside of Boston, right? So we hear those stories all the time in the marathon. That's a big, you know, a, you know people are going out there and it's, it's such an inspiring story to, to, to hear the struggles and hear the people getting up at, you know, four in the morning in February to go out and train because it's snowing here and, and, and that. And that, you know, and Ironman is, is that for so many other people. And it's, and it's awesome. And I think, you know, yeah, you guys were out there just, you know, trying to hammer, trying to win, but there, it could be the person in the back of the pack that's just going just as hard as, you know, they can go as well. Like you're saying, as long as they're given a hundred percent, it doesn't matter if you're coming first or last, you know, you gave your hundred percent to get there. Mm. And then, and then you have a living example of it, which is what I wanted to, to put someplace where everybody could see it forever is that you, you had, that wasn't the purpose. It wasn't a prize fight. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't what sports is today. It wasn't about next year's contract. It was just two guys who wouldn't give up. And that's how the race was determined. It's just who wouldn't give up a little bit more than, than the other guy. Let's go to that. Yeah, let's go to that day. Let's talk about that. Talk about the battle going back and forth, you know, and then, you know, everyone else can go check out the story. But talk to us about the, you know, the battle that you had there. And, you know, when did the battle really start? When did the race of attrition really, you know, come into play? You know, just give us a quick overview. February. <laughs> well, you know, the, the battle really started years before because we, we did have this long history of, uh, me having races where I could be in the lead at the end of by halfway through the marathon in the closing miles and then Dave Scott would continue would, would pass me because I was I hadn't paced it right I didn't do the nutrition right I you know I'd fall apart because just emotionally mentally spiritually I I, I couldn't handle the challenge of it the difficulty and the pain and, and when Dave would start to show his strength that's like I would just melt uh, but but that race you know I I did say to myself okay I am, I am back this time, as Scott said, to see if I can just have my best race. This is not about beating Dave Scott because if I'm racing to beat him, it's, I've shown myself that I can't do that. But if I come here to see if I can just have that, that race where I swim, bike, and run, I'm on it and I keep re, you know, relaunching when it, when I get weak and staying with it and staying with it, and staying with it, that is the race I'm searching for. And so I thought perfect guy to help me figure out the strategy to do that. You know, just stick with this guy, Dave Scott, he's won six times. He knows how to race this. He's always the best from hour six on to the finish in around eight hours. So we, we swam the entire swim course together. I stayed on his feet the entire way. He led, there was no reason for me to, uh, out on the bike, 112 miles of cycling. Once again, I let him stay in the lead. Every time he would kind of look back to see how I was feeling to get that read on, on my, my capabilities, if I was strong or weak, I would kind of duck my head so he couldn't even see my face, which actually suited him fine because he liked to just dictate the race pace. And he did try to break away a few times, but of course I was like a, you know, a bead of honey. I, there was no way I was going to let him go that early. The marathon he started out. We, that's when we, we really, really went to side by side. You know, there was, there was no staying behind him at that point. We were literally, you know, practically glued together. I mean, we're out there on this big road called the Queen K Highway, 
the Queen Ka'ahumanu Highway. It's, it's a big, wide road. There's nobody else with us, and we are bumping into each other. You know, there's plenty of room to get, you know, <laughs> spread us apart, but we were bumping into each other because neither of us wanted to give an inch or a second. And um, that's just kind of how, how it went all the way until, as Scott said, the final uh, about mile and a half. But there, there, was a, there was a transition point for me in the middle of the marathon where days started to surge and he, he, he dropped things down to a six-minute pace. And I thought he was just going to back off. And as it turned out, he was, this was when we were closing in on about 10 miles ago in the marathon. He was holding it and he didn't back off. And it completely blew my mind because nobody had run a six minute pace for the last 10 or 12 miles of that marathon. And at that point, you know, you're, you're really starting to, your nutrition is key. Everything you do is key because you're starting to get, get (laughs) to the bottom of the energy tank and it's hard to get the calories in quick enough to maintain that kind of a pace. Again, nobody had done that before. And so, you know, my mind just completely went haywire with all the ordinary stuff that we all have, you know, like, eh, Dave, he's so strong. I can't do it. He's going to pull away. My legs are killing me. I just want to quit. You know, I shouldn't have come back. You know, those thoughts do not help you out. You know, it's so clear and obvious, but I couldn't shut it off. And finally, finally, it got so difficult to just match his pace because I knew, you know, an inch lost or a second loss at that point meant the race was lost. And so I was trying, you know, you you train yourself as an athlete to hold on during those moments where your brain is saying quit, but your body's like, "Uh uh-uh, not yet, not yet, not yet. And fortunately, it, you know, my, it got so difficult to stay with him that my mind just completely went quiet. And in that moment where my mind just shut off, I recalled this image that I had seen in a magazine two days before, and it was of a, of a, a 110-year-old Huichol shaman from central Mexico and his, and his grandson. It was Don Jose and this other gentleman, Grant Secunda. And in this photo of both of these gentlemen, they had a look on their face that was peaceful and powerful. And as an athlete, that is the place that you're searching for, a place where you feel this sense of peace, which is kind of like trust, like no matter what's going on here, somehow I'm going to keep turning it around. But also that, that, that strength and that power, like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to give it everything I have because in the next moment, who knows if I blow, if I blow up, I don't care. I'm going to give it everything right now. And in that next step and that next step and the next step. And I had never had that peace and power combination feel in Kona. I'd never had either of them. I was racing afraid. I was racing fearful. I was racing harder than I could because I didn't think I had that strength or that power to stay going at a steady pace. It was going to be the champion's pace. And Anyway, Don Jose's image came back to me and it's like all of a sudden this cloud lifted and it's like I could feel that peace and that power and it's like I was getting this like life force was just filling me up from that this image of this 110 year old Weechel shaman that I had seen in a magazine. I mean, I'd never even met him and you know how it is when your mind is quiet suddenly you let go of negative thoughts. It doesn't matter how the end is going to turn out. You are suddenly present on what's going on. And, and all of a sudden I realized, you know, hey, 
look who I am next to everybody. This guy is the best in the world and nobody else is giving him a run for his money. There's still over an hour of racing left in this marathon. Something might happen. And I just got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And then as we mentioned very early in, in, in the podcast here, with about a mile and a half to go in the race, there's one long uphill that then leads down into town, a very steep downhill that then goes to the finish line. And there's thousands of people cheering, but we hadn't gotten there yet. It's desolate lava. There were, there was this entourage of mopeds and cars and officials and camera vans that were behind us. Nobody was saying a word because the tension was so intense and nobody knew who was going to make the break first. Dave and I both knew that that hill was where it had to happen. Now this is, eight hours together. Have you ever spent eight hours side by side with the person that you want to show that you're just one step better than? I doubt it. And so we, you know, common logic says when you get to the bottom of that hill where there was an aid station, you grab one last glass of sport drink because you need every little calorie so that you don't blow up in those last mile and a half. So Dave got there first. He grabbed for a glass of Coke or Gatorade or whatever he was drinking, I started to come in behind him to grab my glass of my little bit of fuel to make it that last little bit. And something just, it was like a, a, a cannon shot said, go. And I pulled my hand back and I started sprinting. And this is so counterintuitive to logic to um, what your thinking mind would tell you you need to do. And I think part of the reason that this Thing that said go I could hear was because I was still quiet I still wasn't thinking I wasn't analyzing I was just present in this intense moment and it was it was so cool and amazing and intense and beyond thought or logic so I pulled my hand back I started to sprint in the three seconds it took Dave to go grab a glass and look back I'd put about four or five feet on him and it blew his mind Somebody was pulling away from him in a territory that he owned more than anyone else who had ever done that race before. And I, I gradually extended the lead, made it to the top of the hill, the bottom of the hill, obviously made it to the finish line first. And uh, on that day, Dave did finish second. He broke his previous world's record by 18 minutes. I did my best time on that day by nearly 30 and the wow. difference in our times at the end was 58 seconds. Very, very small difference on an incredibly long and challenging day. You could so have just gone to a track and done it for a, a quarter mile run and see who, see who won. <laughs> who exactly. exactly. The longest quarter ever. <laughs> you know, if, if we'd had our garments back then, we could have just mailed in the training results and yeah, uh, put it on Strava. No, but that's, that's, I think, what's also pretty cool is that um, both of us went beyond anything that really logic and numbers and all that could have said we would do. And, and so much of that is because of the human element. You can't measure commitment. You can't graph passion. You can't analyze uh, that calm and peace and steadiness that you need and patience that you need to have your perfect, per uh, perfect race. All you uh, think about love for a second. All of us have loved someone or something, and we know how that fuels that relationship or that passion that we have. 
you can't put it in your hand. You can't write it on a notepad. You know when it's there and you know how it affects you. And so this was such a race that was fueled by the human element. We obviously had the numbers. And if you went back, you could probably say, oh yeah, you won because of this workout and all that. But like Scott said, there was no loser in this race because the two of us did something that neither of us would have done otherwise. And it, it impacted not only our lives, but it showed people what was possible at the Ironman. But also now as we, we reflect back over 30 years, I think it, it really shows what's possible when um, two athletes also are willing to, as I said, open up and share their story and ho hopefully bring something to other people's emotions and, and spark something that says, ah, I found my missing piece. Mark, Mark said something recently that, that I, had, I hadn't heard him say this way, but it gives the entire moment context that whoever was interviewing him said, what was the pain, what's the pain like at that, at that moment? You know, you're already at the bottom of the tank and you're going to go that 400 meters. And he said, if you took a normal fit person and dropped them into my body at that point, they would die of shock. <laughs> that's <laughs> I, amazing. I think that's true. And, and uh, you know, in the coaching, and, you know, Mark is coaching now, and in the coaching, the, the breadth of what he offers is very little tighten your spokes, do your quarters this way, change your shoes. It's, it is more about the idea that you can do what you set out to do if you make these adjustments along the way. If you know how to adjust your mind to what you want your body to do, and that's that's why we're partners in the coaching business because I, I think that that does people a service way outside the borders of sport. And and we're getting ever more successful at it and, and it's a completely different approach than, you know, do this on Monday, do this on Tuesday, do this on Wednesday and you'll you'll finish your race. And, uh, yes. and, and, and jump into this, Scott, and, you know, from your Buddhist and background and, and Mark, you had mentioned that the reason why you would blow up in races prior was, you know, the spiritual and the, in the uh, mental side of things, right? Physically, you were there. And Scott, talk to us about the importance of, you know, or Mark, the importance of the mental and spiritual side of sport, because now you start seeing like, you know, Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel with all those guys about the zone and Rise of Superman and all those books that are out there and Flow State and everything. But I think, you know, it's been around forever and it's just starting to get rediscovered in sports performance and human performance. Well, you know, the you know, basis of all Buddhist practice is that life is suffering. It's, it's, it, is the fabric of, it is the fabric of life. And, but it doesn't have to be painful. It, it can be something that you work with. And I, I think in sports, especially in endurance sports, and you, and you know this from your experience, is if, if, if that moment of complete chaos, you have a, a touchstone where you know how to, how you remember that this is just chaos and, and I'm only a part of it. It doesn't mean I have to be of it. It doesn't mean I have to be affected by it. It just means I have to exist in chaos. And, and for an athlete, from the first step out the door, and it's still like this for me today, for the first step out the door, if I'm going to go paddle whitewater, my heart's in my chest. You know, terrible things can happen. And if you can't get it together upside down under a waterfall, getting pummeled, then take a, take a breath and realize this is chaos and I know what to do and focus on the next step. 
And that, that's what I think great coaching is, is great coaching is making people sort of lose the notion that this is airy fairy and everything has to be just super hard. And the worse it is, the better it's, it's being able to carry yourself through that. And sports is the best, te- one of the best tests because sitting behind a computer, you may be suffering at some level, but not at the level of, you know, a, a five minute mile. So that's, that's my, I think that lesson is taught over the line. Yeah, I've, I've studied uh, the Weichel tradition now for 30 years with Don Jose's grandson, Brant Secunda. And the Weichel tradition, they value the ability to quiet your mind. They work to let go of negative emotions. They make it a, 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 a quest to adopt positive emotions. And, you know, simple as it, as it may sound, even we need to almost exp- uh, practice being happy. You know, it's like just... If you're not happy, just tell yourself you are, and you might trick yourself, as, as Brant said. And all of a sudden, it's like you, your world turns around. And, you know, as an athlete, we have a choice always. Like Scott said, it can be suffering or it can be the most amazing experience of your life. It can be something you want to forget or it can be a, a, a moment where you can learn a lesson that will enrich you forever. And, and that's really what, what Brand has helped me to do through this very simple but powerful tradition. You know, Scott, Scott was, uh, studied the Zen tradition, and, you know, they, they all have their aspects that, that are just using whatever it is we do in life to propel us into a, a greater place of, of peace and wholeness. And, and as Scott mentioned, you know, sport is such a great canvas to do that because it's, you can't buy your way from the start line to the finish line. It's a real experience. And when you are really going for it, you will expose those parts of yourself that are, that are weak, that, that may feel like you're going to crumble. And, but it, and the, the, the hand in the glove is that it's also a point where you might find something that you never knew you had before. And that is, that is such a great way to approach things. If, you know, I tell my athletes that I coach, I say, the only bad race is one where you don't learn anything from. I said, ultimately, I don't care whether you got first or fifth or last or set a PR or had, the, had somebody today, they go, I had a PW, my personal worst. <laughs> and I said, you know, it's maybe it looks like it right now, but someday in the next week or two weeks, something will click and you'll go, you know what I learned from that? And that is going to be the lesson that is going to propel me in all my other races in the future that will help me to have better and better and better performances. So you know, it's like you said in the very beginning, Ken, it's, uh, it's about the human side of endurance, of sports, of business, of life. And when we can use any one of these areas to just practice being better at who we are, then I think it affects everybody around us. And that's, you know, to bring it full circle, that's what we wanted to try to do with 1989, the story, is to help people to just propel them a little bit to a better place for that inspiration. Well, then, you know, yeah, we're going up to about 40 minutes here and, and everything would probably go for days and days, but talk to us about, you know, where people can find more about the story and, and, and talk to us about, you know, how you're releasing your content and where they can find the content and, and everything there. Well, since, since, since I have a, a hand in that, <laughs> it's, uh, it's markallencoaching.com is for the coaching. And it's 1989thestory.com for those stories. And we have a Facebook page with about 33,000 followers. And uh, 
an Instagram account with about the same. But the, uh, what I wanted to say to you is how much I appreciate this podcast because, like I said at the beginning, I'm a podcast junkie. And if it's about sports, I'll listen to it. And we're, we're starting now to veer into what we were talking about just before, where people are writing books that are instruction manuals about how to find peace of mind without the suffering part. You know, follow the directions and, and you'll be calm and happy. And, you know, you've, you've given people the opportunity on your, your podcast, at least the, some of the ones I've heard, to, to tell their story. Whether, whether you like it, don't like it, it's not shaped. You know, you're not, you don't have a list of questions and you're, you know, there's a point that you want to make at the end of it. And I, I think that that, you know, is pretty brave overall. And I think, you know, in, in that we, we are, our whole lives are just stories, right? You know, it's, a, it's the dash between the dates, right? That's the most important thing. That's, that's where it's all told on your gravestone. It's not where, you're, where, where it ended, began or where it ended. And that's, you know, that's the human existence, right? It's the story, right? And, and how you tell the story, how you listen to the story, how you use the story, that's, that's the talent or lack thereof or whatever it is, right? To use that to propel you, to take you down, to move you forward and that type of stuff. And, you know, and I love the fact that you were saying, Mark, you were chatting with your guy, the personal works, believe me, I'm, you know, and doing a lot of personal works lately, but it's, it allows you to be like, you know, it's, it's great. It's like a slap in the face. Be like, Hey, I need to get my, you know, get my crop together to do this, or I need to eat better. Or, I need to stop drinking too much wine, or I need to stop doing this or that type of stuff, because that's when you learn. And, and I love what you said there. It's, you know, if it's, that's what races are about learning. It's about continuing. It's about quitting and then moving to the next and, and are you ever really quitting if you don't ever, you know, if you quit once and you never do it again, I guess maybe, but if you quit a race and then the next race, you just learn from that to move forward. It's all learning experience. Yeah. But if you don't play or you don't race, exactly. you don't get anything. No, <laughs> you, you, know, you get, you get what you get at the end. And I have been present to more than a few people's last moments. And the ones who have lived that life, there's this look of shock and surprise because there was always some date their life was going to start, you know, that they were going to, they were going to, they were going to. And the, the truth is you do it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quote that phrase, but you know, doing it, doing a thing that you're scared of is, uh, I think Mark would agree with me is something I highly recommend on a regular, regular basis. And if it's, if it's getting up and singing at karaoke night and you've got the worst voice in the world, that's fine. If it's Iron Man, that's fine. But if you're always in the crowd, you know, you've learned what you've learned. You're going to, you've done what you're going to do. Karaoke is a lot scarier than Iron Man. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a level of, there's a level of stupidity. That above. <laughs> yeah. I won't go into karaoke today for you, but maybe another time next podcast, we can do that one. <laughs> right. No, you know, and, and I love what you're saying there, Scott. It's, you know, people sort of are wondering when, when life's going to happen. And, you know, there's, this, you know, this saying, not every, you know, every man dies, but not every man lives. And I think, you know, and that's huge. And it's, you know, you're on this world spinning once and might as well try to figure out what you can do along that time. And yes, we all get bogged down in our house, you know, our responsibilities at home or paying the bills and, and doing this and doing that. But, you know, don't waste your time spending four hours watching a football game. Don't spend your time, you know, doing all this type of stuff when you could actually be out there living. And, you know, and I think, you know, you guys are the epitome, 
epitome of that. And I try to, you know, get that to my kids. And, you know, a lot of people that are on the podcast sort of have that sort of life philosophy. Well, there is no life without risk. Just ask the guy who got hit by the truck. Mm. Exactly. Well, anyways, guys, this was awesome. And we could probably do a part two, you know, once we get, you know, you get more rolling here too with the story and going down the road. And, but this was just amazing. And, you know, the recap of what you guys are saying is just, Hey, you know, go out there. We all have issues, dig deep, go through those issues and, you know, and make it happen and be proud of it. Right. You know, and, and I think that's the biggest thing is, Hey, be proud of what you've done. Be proud of the suffering you've had because that's what made you as the person you are. And, you know, it could lead you to the win of the Ironman. So thanks guys. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. And if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, feel free to email me at kenwithexecutiveathletes.com. But, you know, like Scott was saying, go out there and live outside your comfort zone this week, this weekend, month, year, whatever, but go make it happen. Thanks, guys. Awesome. That was perfect. So I'm no longer recording. So thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Ken.